I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness and your longevity. We're thrilled to welcome back to the podcast today, Mr. Fred Wright, British champion. In our conversation today, I want to dive into Fred's journey, looking at his progression from a promising young rider to, dare I say it, a burgeoning Patreon of the Peloton. We discuss the significance of winning the British Nationals, a milestone that not only marks a huge personal achievement, but also sets a new standard in his career. But amidst the triumphs, life also brings profound challenges. We'll reflect on the tragic passing of Fred's friend and teammate, Gino Madier. This loss reminds us of the close-knit nature of the cycling community and the deep bonds formed on and off the road. Fred's insight offers a unique glimpse into the highs and lows of professional cycling, the victories that inspire us, and the losses that remind us of the fragility of life. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today. You've got to be careful though, because I'll say that to like my girlfriend who works a normal job. Say, oh yeah, I've got loads of admin to do. And she'll be like, shut up. All you've got to do is, I don't know, (laughs) put a wash on and yeah, it's not... It's not the same level as of admin as like a normal as a normal job. I appreciate it, and I'm happy to have a photo with someone like like in Richmond Park just the other day. You, you sort of people come and recognise you. The difficult one with when you're going around Richmond Park say is that like there'll, there'll be people that know who you are and then try and race you or whatever. And I'm just doing I'm doing a very strict like zone two. I'm not gonna ride any harder. Like obviously, I'm so glad I won nationals. Like it was such a, you know, such a special day. But in terms of tour prep, that was the worst nationals to do. Like <laughs> I, I started the tour in the Basque Country, you know, like, and I just wasn't, I, I wasn't quite fresh enough. Before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news to share with you. It's been a game changer recently for me, making a marked difference in my performance, especially when it comes to my sleep. Let me introduce you to Pillar. Pillar is a company that's on a mission to fuse pharmaceutical precision with sports supplementation for athletes just like us. Okay, so we're all familiar with electrolytes and carbohydrates in our race preparation, but Pillar's taking a different route. It's focusing on something called micronutrition. It ensures you're ready to perform even before you hit the start line. It's all about promoting a good night's sleep. It's facilitating effective recovery and replenishing those critical micronutrients so you can perform at your best. Over the past month, I've been incorporating Pillar's triple magnesium into my routine. Every night, I take it 30 minutes before bed, and I've seen a remarkable improvement in my sleep quality. You'll know that I'm back using a Whoop device tracking my sleep, and the results of that improvement are there in black and white. I've had about a 10% bump in my restorative sleep since I started taking Pillar. I'm waking up, feeling refreshed every morning, ready to attack work, podcast, training, and just the next day in general. But don't just take my word for this. Try it, and let the data on your fitness tracker tell you the story. So if you're ready to elevate your performance and your sleep quality, why not give Pillar a try? Head over to pillarperformance.shop and use the code ROADMAN on your local website for 15% off your first order. Or for US listeners, head over to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and use the code ROADMAN for the same 15% off your first order. The details of both of these are in today's show notes. Now let's get into the show. Fred Roy, welcome back to the Roadman Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, good to be back. I need to burst the illusion. I need to 
People are going to be listening and thinking, Fred's down the south of France. He's living the life. He's just stepped out of his Bentley. Fred just removed a sheet from hanging behind on his door. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not, I'm happy living a normal life alongside cycling. I'm not. I'm not so keen for the for the glamour and all that stuff. I just I li- live up north in Manchester, and yeah, I, I do hang up my sheets. Sheets gotta dry. They do have to dry somewhere, and door frames are often the best place. So, you living on your own, or who are you living with? I'm living on on my own at the moment. But I've got a, an old friend who's I was on the British Cycling Academy with. He's going to come and move in just towards the end of this month. Just basically, so I've got someone to look after the house when I'm away for half of the year, yeah. <laughs> as as it is as a pro cyclist. So yeah, it should be good. Um, what do you like on the? I had a military guy on the podcast a while ago, special forces, and he gave me this cool term, so I use it for everything now. He calls it admin. So admin's all the stuff in the military they do that's not war. So it's like making sure your gun is clean, getting your food ready, making sure your uniform is pressed. So I'm like, that's a cool term. I'm going to use that in cycling. What's your admin like? My admin? Oh, yeah. For, I, I, that's a good, I like that's a good way of thinking, it, thinking of it because I feel like everything that I do that isn't riding my bike, yeah, is, is admin. Whether it's racing or, or training. I feel like once I've done the training part, it's like, right, now let's put a wash on now let's do a podcast now let's make some dinner now let's it's all (laughs) it feels like my whole life is admin i guess you could take that expression and bring it to the world tour that's my gift to you (laughs) no i I think it's a good one it's a good one you got to be careful though because i'll say that to like my girlfriend who works a normal job say oh yeah i've got loads of admin to do and she'll be like shut up all you've got to do is i don't know (laughs) put a wash on and yeah it's not it's not the same level as of admin as like a normal as a normal job, but but it's hard to do that stuff when you're a cyclist. I remember when I was full time living in France, and I used to take Monday off. I still take Monday off the bike. I don't know why, but I like have the whole day to do. Like, I got absolutely nothing to do for the whole day. All I'd have to do is like one wash, and I just couldn't get it done. And then I heard the expression: "If you want something done, ask a busy man." And I was like, "Ah, oh, that's a good expression. I like that." Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I think as well. I think like in off season you almost like regain your energy and you sort of forget that actually when you're training, you kind of sap that energy to do things like that. You kind of end up, all you want to do when you've got back from a long training ride, maybe in the cold weather or whatever, is just nothing for a couple of hours. (laughs) And you get that kind of like sense of, you get more of a sense of fatigue. And I think you almost, you go through off season, almost forget about that fatigue. And then I've, I've sort of got into training the past week or so and been like, oh yeah, it's actually getting yourself to do other things is more difficult. And I don't I don't necessarily think that's being lazy. I think that's just, you know, you're fatigued from from training. It, it does take a lot of, out of you just to ride your bike every day. So, What's your threshold? And I don't mean that by your power number. I mean your threshold for <laughs> the amount of training. you Like if I do over three hours in a day, my days are right off. Like I just, I'm doom scrolling on Instagram for the rest of the day and I can't do anything. If I do two and a half hours, for some reason, I'm still kind of productive for the rest of the day. But anything at more than three, the day is pointless. It's ruined. Yeah, I, for, yeah I'd, I'd say that's a good, around that, like three and a half, three, three and a half is when it starts, depending on how early you leave in the morning, it starts getting a bit difficult to do other things. Like this, this first couple of weeks training that I do, you know, the past two years or so has been, you know, I'm not, getting loads of hours in it's almost like an ease back into the into riding so i'm max doing three hour rides most of the time it's like two hours so actually 
I quite like this time of year because you have more time to do, you have more time and energy to do those those things and kind of live live normally. It's almost like an extension of off season. You you kind of get to enjoy riding your bike, but not that much yet that it's a massive chore. Like the thir- the twenty five thirty hour weeks aren't hitting yet, so it's quite a nice period. It's disappointing though. I thought your threshold would go up when you're world tour. I thought you'd be like, no, no, I can do six hours and still be productive. I thought it was just because I'm shit. Maybe it goes up. Maybe, maybe I think four hours is often I can do, but five out, yeah, five hours. I mean, you walk, you walk to the shops and that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, yeah. I think that's, I think you just have to accept it. You just become more of a, you are quite a, a fairly useless human when you're a, a pro cyclist, but the sacrifice is you become a better bike rider. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, you see, I don't have that part, though. I'm just a useless human where I don't get the good bike rider part. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but you, you still get that sense of, you know, it's like every day when you do, if you keep riding consistently for a month, you you notice how much better you feel on the bike. I think everyone everyone can access that. But you have to, you know, weigh up. I, I am also going to not be able to do other things in my life if I just train full gas all the time. <laughs> <laughs> last time we chatted we started talking and as soon as we started talking the video went dead so the video still recorded but it went dead so i couldn't see you and i'd only ever previously seen you before in your cycling kit with helmet on glasses on and everyone kind of looks the same you can't tell who anyone is so fast forward to roller and we're in the nightclub and this dude comes up talking to me and I have no idea who it is. And I'm like, the first 60 seconds, I'm like, who is this dude? And there's a, another lad there, Rory Townsend, a cyclist as well. And I'm like, have you any idea who this lad is? And he's like, how pissed are you? And I was like, I'm pretty <laughs> pissed, but I actually don't know. I've never met this guy. And he's like, that's Fred Wright. And I was like, oh, balls. I only talked to him like two days ago. <laughs> that, that, I want to apologize for that right now. Oh, that was so funny. Yeah, it's good. I, I I prefer to have things like that rather than the other way around when you've got someone coming up to you and going, oh, like, do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's humbling, you know? It's like <laughs> a humbling experience. I was humbled. You humbled me. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you spend the whole kind of time of ruler thinking, oh, yeah, I'm a, you know, everyone knows who I am. I'm a pro cyclist, like, la, 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 la. And then you go up to some guy that you think will know you at a nightclub and he, shuts you down it's it's good it's, it keeps you keeps you level <laughs> I'm glad I could pay a public service for you does that yeah, happen exactly. much do you get a I wrestle with this one obviously I have a tiny amount of fame from the podcast compared to what you must have but I wrestle where, where I obviously need people to tune into the podcast and I love it but at times you're in the coffee shop and your kit and you're just like you know I just want to eat me scone like leave me alone yeah a little a little bit I think I think the past couple of years I've sort of it's still a not it's still at a nice point where I appreciate it and I'm happy to have a photo with someone like like in Richmond Park just the other day you, you sort of people come and recognize you but the the difficult one with when you're going around Richmond Park say is that like there'll, there'll be people that know who you are and then try and race you or whatever and I'm just doing <laughs> I'm doing a very strict like zone two I'm not gonna ride any harder so I kind of I was going around Richmond Park the other day like just steady like the same pace the whole way around but that means that the, you know the guys that see me are gonna they'll overtake me on the hills, but I'm riding the same pace. I'm I'm easily gonna catch them on all the other segments. But it, for them, it feels like that they think I'm racing them, but I'm not. I'm just riding the same pace the whole way around. And so you end up, I was just, it was so funny the other day. Just I I ended up saying to them like I'm not racing you. I'm just here. 
I'm just I'm just riding his own too, mate. <laughs> but you know what? They go back to the pub and they tell their mates that story. It won't be the way it is. Like, oh, I raced Fred right there. I dropped him. He's shy. <laughs> yeah. But I don't mind that. I think that's good. I think that's that's part of this. Well, that's what's great about cycling is you can be so close to, you get so, like football, you don't have it where you can, yeah. you know, speak to and interact with the, the pros that you see see racing. I do find it, it's, it was hard, it's harder at things like Rouleur when I've got a mix of fans of cycling and also sort of friends, you know, like family friends of people like that are in London that I want to speak to. And you end up, you kind of almost get stuck speaking to someone else when actually you'd rather have spoken to your family friend or, or whatever. So sometimes, sometimes things like that ruler, it's, it's great to do, but you know, you couldn't do them all the time because it's kind of, it's socially quite a draining, draining experience because you've got to be on top form for, for everyone really. Winter is on the way and as the dark and cold days close in on us, we're all beginning to think about the next few months of indoor training. Every week I get emails and DMs asking about my dream indoor training setup. I've already got it. For me, the thing that's had the biggest impact on my motivation to train indoors, it's having a Watt bike. There's no faffing around putting bikes onto a trainer. The Watt bike's just there. It's ready when you are. Having it there just removes all those friction points. No more 10 minute setup, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff. No more connection issues. It just works every single time when I need it. There's zero setup and it feels exactly like being out on the road. I get to talk to the best riders in the world every week on this podcast. And guess what bike they all recommend? The Watt bike. We're partnering with Watt bike to give you 10% off the Watt bike Adam when you use the code ROADMANTEN at checkout. That's ROADMANTEN at checkout. If you're considering a dedicated indoor bike heading into the winter, I couldn't recommend this any higher. Details of this offer are below in today's episode description. The bunch is going to be a bit different next year, eh? Like Sagan, Tivo Pino, Greg Van Avermaet. There's a little bit of a change in the guard gone, all those guys retiring. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that. Like you, you think that the names that are not going to be there. And those are, all, those are the kind of guys that also would say things if they saw something's going wrong. Think of like Sagan. He was probably more of like a, a patron of the, the peloton, and we're kind of losing that now. I think it's kind of, there's, I don't know who. I guess there's a few, still a few old, older guys, but it's not. Yeah, it's a new generation, isn't it? But like, are you losing it, or is it like? I'm not putting this on your shoulders, but you know, I remember even playing football, and you go from being the young guy to the experienced guy very fast. Like, you're not the newcomer now. You're a you're a legit world tour rider now. Is it on your shoulders and your generation to step up a little bit more and kind of the next Patreon's going to come from your generation? Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably, that's a good point, a good way of putting it because it's like, yeah, I'd say it's one, it's going to be, I, I, I think that I still feel like I'm a new new rider, like, but I've not, I'm not, I've been doing this, I'm going into my fifth year of doing, of being a pro, which is definitely experienced. And yeah, it's just about, stepping up to it but I think it's it is it's it's a difficult thing to do to you know and, and not a lot of guys actually I, I would say actually do that become those sort of captains those those leaders they kind of almost keep keep themselves to themselves but the ones that the ones that do that you know that's a successful I I, I aspire to, to be able to to lead in in that sort of way I think 
rather than just going through the motions like like other people. Not that that's the wrong thing to do, but... It is kind of cool because, you know, it's a competitive sport and you see a lot of people that come and they get one contract and that never works out for them. They drop down a level and then they just disappear. So you've obviously made it stick. You got that one contract, which turned into another contract. Now you're in your fifth or going into your sixth year. You're a legit world tour rider. So it is kind of cool to be able to reach a hand down and help others up and say, hey, you know that thing you done just there? You tried to move up on the grass and you almost took everyone out. It didn't go that bad. We've seen how it can go bad the odd time. Yeah, definitely. I think <laughs> it's a good it's a good example though. Like I think we it's it's weird that that's the role that I'm gonna gonna uh, sort of fall into. But I was speaking to Mate and he's someone that he was doing it quite young. He was yeah, he would have been my age when I first joined the team and roomed with him on the first training camp and learned a lot from him, like talked to him a lot and sort of absorbed as much information from him as I can as I could. And I think yeah, I can, I can do the same. No, I'm in a position now. Where I can do the same, but still, it's that's what it's still great because there's still old enough older riders that you can still have. I still have riders to learn from. I still have to learn from the sports directors, whatever. But I still have enough experience that I can can pass it on. Mate's interview on the Tour de France when he won a stage this year. You know, this is what it means. <laughs> that was yeah. like one of the highlights of the season. Oh no, it was. But that's the thing as well with cycling. It's like you remember things like that as well. Like that's there's importance in how you present yourself. And like Matteo's just won so many fans from that that interview. It's unbelievable. And those fans might not necessarily know how many stages of the tour he's won, but they'll just love him for the way he spoke about one of his victories. But I think this is why we're in a really cool era with cycling now, because we're getting so many more guys like you who are either starting their own podcasts or jumping on guests and podcasts or starting vlogs. And we're actually getting to know the riders. Like even Evan Paul now with his own vlog. I didn't really like Evan Paul before that vlog, I have to say. For no reason, because that's just me being an arsehole. I never met the guy, never talked to the guy. But I just looked at him and said, ah, he looks like an arrogant little prick. And I watched the vlog and I was like, ah, I actually think he's a bit of a dude. I like this guy. Yeah. And it totally changed my opinion of him just off the back of that vlog. So I think we're in this purple patch now where we're really getting to know riders and it's helping the sport a lot because I'm invested in their journey now. Like I watch, like I had you in my fantasy uh, Tour de France team this year. You kind of fucked me over a few times, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But you know what I mean? Like I was rooting for you because you had me, because you've been on the podcast and you you know, I, I feel like I know you. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's so important, and I kind of just in the past two years, I see I see the value in that, and I see what coming on podcasts or maybe in the future creating my own podcast or whatever that people be able to relate to you and to sort of listen to your story and, and just know how you are as a person makes you know makes it because ultimately I've only won I've only won one bike race, but it was a home digger. Yeah, it was, but I you know like I, I haven't been you know, maybe as quite as successful as I wanted to be yet. But I still, you know, I feel like I've amassed a good amount of people that spend their time cheering me on getting into breakaways or in the classics or whatever. Like I've I've built up a not a nice fan base from just basically just speaking what's on my mind in interviews and yeah. I think that's as a result of, you know, people relating to me, I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what why it is, but yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
As we pedal closer to the end of another year, I can't help but reflect on the highs and lows that come along with it, whether it's the excitement of the holiday season or navigating those occasional winter blues. It can be a bit of a roller coaster. I've been thinking about how this time of year can be a little bit overwhelming, dealing with the stress and the changes that accompany it. Whether you've ever dipped your toes into therapy or not, let's chat about the bigger picture benefits in a language we can all relate to. Think of it as a toolkit for life. A bit of space where you can learn the ropes of positive coping skills, some time for self-reflection, and even somewhere where you can learn how to set those crucial boundaries in your life. If you're contemplating the therapy journey, why not give BetterHelp a spin? This is therapy that's entirely online, crafted for ultimate convenience, flexible and tailored to your schedule. Just a quick questionnaire to match you with a licensed therapist and the freedom to switch things up anytime at no extra cost. It's therapy on your terms and I've got to say, the convenience is a total game changer. So find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash roadman today to get 10% off your first month. That's better com forward slash roadman. All of the details for this offer are in today's show notes. Before we move on from all the retirements, uh, Nathan Van Hoydonk's one and his heart condition. Is there any whispers in the peloton what's going on with this heart stuff? Obviously, Sonny Cabrelli team out of yours a couple of years ago I've been watching sport for my whole life and it's like footballers are dropping cyclists are dropping there's something weird going on I don't know if it's post-covid post-covid vaccines if it's even related to that I don't know is there any whispers in the bunch as to what's going on I'm really not sure whether it's I've got no idea whether whether it's covid related or not I just know you know personally there's a great sort of charity in the UK that called cardiac risk in the young and they test sportsmen or young young sports people to make sure that they don't have any, you know, underlying heart conditions that could just surprise them from doing doing sport in the future. And I think it's so. I you know, at the age of sort of sixteen, I did various tests and you know got got the all clear. And I I, I wonder if I, I don't know. I, so for me, I you know I, I trust that you know my heart's healthy and. You know, in touch with nothing's, you know, nothing's going to happen from a personal experience. But I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what this. I wonder whether it's just things that have been undiagnosed or. No one's too alarmed with it. There's not much talk about it. I think, I mean, I think, I think there's definitely going to be more sort of heart, heart related tests. You know, like we, you know, every year you're on, on training camp doing, it's not like you don't do, do the tests basically. But I don't know if they really know what it is. I had one this year. I went uh, on a long day, a gravel day. I was trying to do one of those fastest known times and I had like 12-hour ride and then it finished up a sticky enough climb, like a 10-minute climb. I was with one of my buddies and we went full gas over the last climb. And my heart rate, my Garmin was actually dying, so I was in that power saver mode where you can only see it on and off. So I, I knew I went full, like I was out of breath at the top. Then it was a long descent and I still felt out of breath on the descent. And I was like, oh, that feels weird. Why haven't I recovered? And then we'd like 5K into town. I still felt really weird. Like I, like I was still doing a max effort. And then finished the ride like 10 minutes later or whatever, press save. And it's like new max heart rate detected 229. And I was like, Jesus. Okay, that's not fucking good. And then I was like, maybe it's like, maybe that's just a mistake or whatever. So I stopped the file, restarted a new file so I could see what the heart rate was. And it was still like 200 just standing there. And my max is like 190. 
And I was like, okay, this is not good. So I sat in like a, a kebab shop in like the arse end of nowhere. And I was thinking, this is where the story ends. <laughs> this is it. Jesus. And, <clears throat> I went to got cardiac tests and everything the next day. And the doctor was like, nah, look, it's there's nothing wrong. Like your heart's perfect. He had me going full gas on the treadmill, a pair of jeans and stuff. And just more chafing issues than anything. And he's just like, no, nah, you're grand. It was uh, some sort of viral infection mixed with dehydration, but it scared the shit out of me because I was in that waiting room waiting for them results. Oh, man. Scary stuff, isn't it? Because, like, yeah, when I was 16, they, they actually had to, like, stop. There was, I had, like, two months almost off just so they double-checked the, the results of it because I did a similar thing, you know, like, you do, like, a max test. And basically, they didn't want to, they didn't want me to train until they got, you know, the, the, the all clear. But it was, I remember being really nervous, like, really, like... Yeah, because like even, you know, for you, obviously, it's your livelihood. For me, it's not my livelihood cycling, but I still love the cycling. And it's cycling. It's a part of my identity. But I was in the waiting yeah. room and everything's going through your head. And I was like, okay, maybe I'd still be happy if I couldn't cycle, but I won't be able to cycle. I won't be able to run. I won't be able to go to the gym. I won't be able to play five aside with the lads. I won't be able to. It's, like, exactly. it's a big game changer. Yeah. No, it's, it's really scary stuff. And I, yeah, I wonder what, why there's been more, whether it's people training more like i don't know where people are putting more effort in you know more out as you camps more just overall load that you're i don't know i'm not a doctor so i can't i can't <laughs> i can't i can only i can only guess so yeah looking back uh another another top 10 in flanders i heard a whisper you done 350 watts normalized for seven hours any truth in that something like that yeah it's it was like on from the start. We we even planned. It was quite cool actually. The sports directors were like, "It's it's really nice when they come in with a slightly different plan to normal." And they said, "Right, guys, we we're just gonna." In, there's a slight chance of crosswinds in the first thirty k. Bear in mind, this was it was a two hundred k race. So like, okay, there's there's a slight chance of crosswinds. Definitely, Van der Poel and Van Aert, some of the other big guys, they're gonna be sat at the back. Let's just twat it and see what happens <laughs> whether that was the best strategy or not I think it, it there was you know Van der Poel was was at the back and had to spend spend some energy I think so yeah but that basically meant that the, the, the break didn't go until yeah the first cobble sector I remember it and then and then you're almost on the on the quam on the first time so it was really because I flicked on late and I was like why is the break not gone and then I was like because it was two hours or more and the break still hadn't gone and I think it was the yeah. fastest ever edition of Tour of Flanders yeah something like that but that's just because <laughs> of the way basically it's, it's, it's nowadays you know you've got when you've got the likes of Pogaccio in the race everyone's trying to preempt the final trying to take advantage of having someone in the move to get into the final in a better, ahead of the top guys you know the top three guys and that was that was our strategy basically and I'm in the end, it might have been better. It would have been good if we actually had someone in that very, very early move. Because normally people, you're like, oh, don't bother. But I then came across to that after, still with, you know, 100k to go or so in, in like a pretty strong group. And I remember Pedersen had a teammate in that in that original break that was really helpful. Same with Askreen. So it would have been, I'm still kind of waiting to like sit down I'll do it before I race lines next year, but sit down and watch it and see where I went wrong. Because, yeah, there's this, you can always pick things out, which is what's so great about these races. Well, like, do you almost have to get creative now to beat those 
like we call them the like superhero X-Men. Like you yeah. know, we're talking about like Pogaccio, Wout and MVP. Did, do you need to come up with a creative strategy? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think I've, I felt like I nailed it this year. Kind of ultimately almost thought about them too much. And I was really impressed with how Pedersen rode it. Like he rode, you know, he attacked from our, the group we were in instead of waiting for them to come to us. And that was, and he, and he, he yeah, I, I think that's, that's that's the next sort of change in is I was thinking about still just getting a result in the race because I knew that they were coming rather than actually okay how do we win this race I'd almost with say 50k to go when you've got you're doing the Claremont the Paterberg for the last time or however long to go that is 40k to go you're coming into it I'm there thinking okay they're they're going to come to us how do I get a good result instead of Pedersen was in his head like no I can still I'm still going to try and win this race so he then, you know, he attacked and Pogaccio only just caught him on the on the top of the Claremont, I think. But I guess that's just a box ticking exercise. Like for you now, you've had two top tens in Tour of Flanders the last two years. If you're in the break next year, your head's not going to be as much in the frame of mind as, oh, if I get top 10, this is a great result. You're going to be, oh, top 10, I've done that twice. I'm better off going for broke and trying to win this race yeah, exactly. and then coming nowhere. I need to go broke, yeah. I think that's what, you know, hopefully will come next year is I've, it's just each year you've, I've gained confidence, gained confidence in how I race and what I want from, from the races. And I think, yeah, I hope that's what I'm hoping will lead to sort of some big results next year. But the, the, I'm, you know, when you when you're racing these guys, it's not it's not easy to win these races. But I'm sure, you know, it's all it takes is. You know, that's why I like I love Roubaix. Like, you know, all it takes is so there's there's other factors involved. Flanders is a bit more about the legs at the very end. But with Roubaix, when you got random randomness thrown in there, it's really that's that's where there could be a big opportunity in the next few years that I'm doing. Well, I'm going to be doing it for ten the next ten years, so I'm sure there'll be an opportunity in the ten tries of Roubaix. Full full Matt Heyman on it. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd be happy to get to the end of my career with, with just one nationals and a one Roubaix. That would be yeah, <laughs> that that'd be fine. <laughs> but you're super good at position into climbs. That's why I think. Flanders suits you really well. The technical joss of our position, which unless anyone's ever done it, I don't think you can explain how terrifying and dangerous and skilled that is to get into position for these key sections. But you seem to be able to pull that off really, really well, which is actually quite a nice segue to your one and only race victory, British Nationals, because it was a technical course. And I remember it was uh, Simon Carr at one point absolutely smashed the climb, basically dropped the entire field. But you just have a knack of popping up in the right place at the right time. Obviously, you have the legs as well, but you're very good at holding that position. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think I think Mate will tell me that I've still got more to improve in the old classics positioning. But that's he's he is the master at doing that. So I think that's, <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that criticism. But in terms of like picking out moves and stuff, I feel like that's, one of my strongest strongest traits. I kind of almost know I've got more of an understanding of myself and what it takes to and how it's almost like understanding how knackered everyone else is. Like and trusting that because you're you're knackered so everyone else should be as well. And then it's a good time to to attack. It's it's that's the kind of simplest way of describing it, I guess. Did you have a good read on how knackered James Knox and Stevie Williams were in the Nationals? Yeah, there was one point where they it was that the longer, steeper climb, just at the very top. I was able to put a dig in over the top of that one. And I knew then I was like, okay, if I can do that, then 
I should, you know, I sort of tell myself not to panic, but I should be able to to win this. Like I felt fairly confident, but no, it was such a good race. It was it was so hard. I think that was the one of the hardest races I've done, just because of the nature of the course and nationals. You always just smash the crap out of each other. Yeah, I seen Knox's power data. He was like, I think five point four or five point five watts per kilogram normalized for the entire race for over five hours. Yeah, it was some. It, well, my I actually um, I dropped my chain and knocked my magnet off, so I I did I lost power for the like the whole thing, and it was oh. so gutting because it was probably one of the best files I would have ever had. <laughs> but you you went early in the finish as well, like you went super super early because you went on that second last climb, that kind of forty five second kicker. Yeah, well, I kind of. The thing is with Stevie and Noxie are, are really good mates. Like I, I'm, a, I'm good friends with both of them, but they were, they're such good mates and were, they were playing the mate card a little bit. And I, I sort of knew that they would in the, almost as if they were both teammates. They weren't, they're not teammates, but they were riding like they were teammates. And I basically just, I knew Stevie, one of them was going to have a go on that climb. And like I said, from the, from the other, one of the times I, I knew I was able to get a bit of a gap over the top of them attacking before. So I thought, oh, this is the moment, and, and went for it. And I kind of felt like on that downhill section before the last climb, you know, if I'm if I'm tucked in a heavier rider, I'm, I'm dead. even if they're chopping off, there's, there's no benefit. They're not going to be going any faster than I was. So, yeah, it was, it was just about the right move in the end. And when I seen you in the big ring up, and I was like, it means business. The boys are in the little ring spinning away up there. <laughs> I think that's, but that's just what, that's one, again, what, it's why it suits me is that none of the efforts we were doing were that like, I don't know, it wasn't like the, the watts per kilo at that moment were that high, but it's being able to just do continuous, short, punchy efforts that are like, we, I don't know how many are in, were in that race, probably hundreds, but they all, they all add up. And if you can soak them all up and still keep being able to do them, then you've, you're in a good place. Is it a strange race though the week before the tour? Because I remember racing nationals and Philip Dygman, who was riding for Sky then, coming back to race the Irish nationals and crashing in the nationals and missing the tour. Like, is that in the back of your mind to be risk off? Yeah, I think like looking looking at the season now, I would, and looking at how like obviously I'm so glad I won nationals. Like it was such a you know such a special day. But in terms of tour prep, that was the worst nationals to do like <laughs> I, I started the tour in the Basque country you know like and I just wasn't I, I wasn't quite fresh enough you know it was such a hard race it took it takes longer than you expect to recover from you know you think oh the tour's next week it's fine but you know you, you're traveling to the tour I was traveling to the tour not that many days after nationals and it's it's a it's you know it's a big bit of load to just have right before you do do a grand tour so you know I looking at how the tour went last year and this year Okay, the courses were different, different situations. The way it was raced was slightly different, but I definitely started the tour this year not as fresh. Would you consider skipping nationals? Like the Glibier is stage four, I think, this year. So it's we're racing early this year. Yeah, I, that's what I mean. I think, yeah, that's a question to with the team and to work out because it is, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's, it, I think my personal opinion is that everyone should race nationals, like all countries that there should be like rules where everyone races nationals i think like it's it's important for the sport and like the sport in in your home country that you do the nationals like i don't i think it's a bit stupid that that people skip it because that i think it's it kind of goes against like the way it should I, I think it should be but it it's not it's not ideal but i don't think 
it's kind of cool as well as a fan watching your national champ at the highest level. Like the British fans are going to get such a kick out of seeing you next year at the front of the Tour of Flanders wearing the British champs jersey. Like this is cool to watch. That's the, that's like the best bit of nationals. It's just every day being able to put on a stripy jersey. It's like just just today putting on. You know, it's maybe they're, they're a little bit tighter than they were in the, the latter <laughs> phase of the season now, but. No, it's just great. It's really nice. Yeah, what you need to do is get two different sizes, off-season size and on-season size. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I've not put, put on too many jerseys in kilos, but it's enough to notice, to think, why, didn't, why did I go for a small? Why did I go for a medium in these long sleeves? <laughs> in these long sleeve jerseys. How extra special was the win in nationals given how the Tour of Swiss went with obviously the tragic loss of your friend Gino yeah it's you know I'm I'm happy happy to mention it happy to you know talk about it mention it just because yeah I feel like it's it's important you know to to talk about these things because it's it's not something that anyone really knows how to deal with and I, I certainly know that you know fi- when the moment you know finding out about it that whole that whole week before nationals was you know I, I didn't I'm sort of sort of questioning why I was doing what I was doing. I kind of had very little motivation. I think I think part of it is because it's I was so focused on the tour. You're so like drilled, training is everything. You know, you, you're really like more focused than ever on on eating and and getting the most out of yourself. And then something like that happens, and it you know you're the, I think the natural the reaction is you think to, about yourself and you go what what am I doing like why. Yeah, what what's the? It, it basically just puts everything into perspective, and I really, yeah, that was you know one of the hardest weeks of my life. I don't, I don't know what the I can't imagine how his you know his family's his, his girlfriend especially like it's it's tra- it's awful. But you know, with that, there is that extra. You know, Matteo was talking about it. You've got that. You kind of lost that motivation and perspective, but then you also gain you gain a bit of freedom in that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really it matter. We're, we're just enjoying riding our bikes. Like it's not, let's, you know, let's just, let's just enjoy it for Gino because that's what, that's what he unfortunately can't, can't do anymore. And yeah, I think it, it, it certainly meant that nationals, I raced it with, you know, more freedom and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't bothered that much about, about winning. I was I kind of, Ultimately, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm just there enjoying racing my bike, and that's what that's kind of the most important thing about what we what we do, I guess. We had a another obviously on that, like you know, condolences to you and all the lads who knew him. Uh, we had a another tragic accident here in Ireland last year as well, roughly around the same time. And uh, it was a prominent female cyclist in the Irish community and out on a training ride, and she got hit head on with a car, and she didn't make it either. She passed away on the scene. And I know for me, like in the aftermath of that, it was just, it was really hard to process it. Like, cause it's just a, tr- like, you know, when I went away from kind of chasing the pro dream, it's dangerous. Like when you're doing these races and you're descending at a hundred K an hour, you're following wheels, you're taking risks or cutting blind corners. I was able to kind of segment that and say to myself, okay, that's dangerous. But what you do now, like racing locally, you know, doing group rides, that's pretty safe. And then when she got killed, it was like, I almost didn't know how to process that because I was like, I thought what I do now is safe. And it's like, 
it, it's kind of it's still actually even talking about it. It's still pretty hard to figure out how to compartmentalize that. Yeah, that's. I think that that's even more. I think the nature of you know the nature of Gino's crash was it was so particularly unlucky. You know, like there's there were reasons what why you know just where he crashed. I, you know, I don't want to talk about it, but it it's. But when, like you said, when it's when it happens on a training road, which is the day to day stuff, yes, it's not. You know, it certainly makes it. I can't imagine it's how to. It's it's you. De- I, I, yeah, it's definitely a lot. Yeah, no, no. I mean, no, no one really knows how to talk about these things. But yeah, no, it, that that's it. It's just it's saying words out loud, isn't it? I you don't yeah. know what to say. Like no, but it's. I think I prefer the approach of saying words out loud rather than keeping everything keeping everything in or or whatever it was it was handy actually you know when i when i found out my 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 you know my dad randomly had just come up to stay just up up here in 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 manchester and so i you know i had people around me that i could you know come to terms with it with rather than just being on my own because i think it would have been real tricky if i was you know just just on my own with with no one to talk to obviously the team were helpful talking but it's that you know person to person yeah conversation is is helpful as well and i don't even know if there's an answer to this one as me and a good buddy of mine at off in the bay that we've been came up riding together for years and you know we've seen in the last four or five years a couple of just really tragic crashes a friend of ours hit from behind and he couldn't ride again obviously gabby who i mentioned tragically passed away you look at gino same fate and it's like I love cycling and I get so much out of cycling and I encourage everyone that comes into my life they haven't tried cycling to cycle. So my best mates are cyclists and my fondest memories are cyclists and races. And then I just wonder like, is the risk to reward worth it? Like, is what we do just so dangerous that these things are inevitable and we somehow just bury our head in the sand to the dangers of this sport? I mean, I think, like I said, in, you know, in Gino's case, let's face it, it was you know, particularly unbelievably unlucky. Whereas with drivers and the nature of the roads and I think more I in for, with things happening on training rides and out on the out on the roads, not necessarily races, I think there is more awareness to be had. Because I, I just know that drivers have got worse since I've Did it get better when you have the national champs kit on? <laughs> yeah, well not no not they don't they don't, they don't give a shit. <laughs> And I think, you know, like cars are getting bigger. Like cars, the standard car people buy nowadays is, a, is is an SUV and there's less space on the roads for them to overtake. So I, like, there's just, and the, it's the relationship between cars and drivers. Like, it's just... People are oblivious though. I stopped the traffic lights to an SUV and like, I wasn't even aggro. I had my headphones in. I was listening to Coldplay or something like that. It's <laughs> pretty chilled out here. Like, uh, I wasn't listening to Gangster Rap and rolling up on this guy. Uh, rolled up, tapped on the window and he was a nice enough middle-aged dude. And I was like, bro, you're one millimeter away from kilometer. Like you passed me at 160 kilometers an hour and you missed me by a millimeter. I was like, that was game over. And he was just totally apologetic and had no idea. He was just in his own dream world like oblivious to the consequences of that weapon he's driving. I've had a few few like that recently where you, you say something and they actually don't realise that they've passed you close. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah it's, and that's almost worse. Like I'd rather they were angry with me or like, oh, you know, get off the road rather than, oh, I didn't even know I was close to you. Like that's a bit more, bit more scary. So I think it's, yeah, 
you know, I used to look at people in high-vis tops and I'd be like, oh, what a geek, looking at him in his high-vis out training on his lights. But you know what? I'm designing like a roadman orange jersey at the moment for just some extra visibility. You know, I now you make sure I've got a light on my back, at the back of my bike and stuff, just because, yeah, you you just got to be got to be that extra careful just because of, just because of drivers. It's, it's just such a, I don't know, I, don't, I kind of don't understand it half the time. I think because as a pro cyclist, you live a different life to what other people's lives are. You know, like you, you have more time on your hands. You're just doing a four-hour training ride. But on a day-to-day, the drive, like, I don't understand why people get so angry. Like what the... All right, so here's my hot take on it. So, right, when I was playing football, and you're obviously in the UK, big football culture, you have a shit week in college, your girlfriend's cheated on you, your parents or your dad's beating you around the place, right? You've had the worst week of your life. You play a football yeah. match on a Saturday. Whose fault is it? It's the referee's fault. No matter what happened to you that week, it's the referee's fault. Cyclists are becoming the new referee. It's like, oh, my pound doesn't buy me as much anymore. Inflation is killing me. I can't get a job. You know, government's fucking me over. It's the cyclist's fault. The traffic is shit. It's the cyclist's fault. It's the cyclist's fault. And it, this rage just seems to be building up that's totally irrational. Yeah. No, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's always, that anger is most of the time irrational. And the best way to respond to that is always not to rise to that sort of irrational. Because if you get angry as well, it's kind of like what you're both losing <laughs> yeah it ruins your ride as well don't it like you're just going around big tick head on you for the rest of the day yeah i think my, my, my dad has always said like if you can then if you can somehow flip it and make them smile you know just by being like oh this is stupid or whatever then that's that's the, that's the way to to win to win it win them over but it's not it's not easy it's definitely yeah i'd say it's more dangerous now than than ever to, to just ride on the road i think that's how you know you're getting old fred I think that's like maybe yeah maybe I'm just maybe I'm just more less reckless now nah, I'm only 24 I feel I still feel like I've I've got a, yeah a few screws loose <laughs> Uh, finishing up, looking back on the season now and having the benefit of a bit of an off season and I'm sure a couple of beers to give you some perspective what do you think you could have done better? that's a good question what could I have done better? Um, or basically even another way to reframe it like what lessons will you take from last season that you're going to bring into and change this season? I think oh, there's there's a few things. It's kind of you know I need to structure a, a program out of and really focusing on what I want rather than you know a big thing I've been you know trying to sort of have a chat with the team, have a chat with my coach and and work out. It's like rather than okay the past few years where it's been like I'll get really fit, I'll get race ready, and then I'll race and hold on to the form and see where where that gets me. I kind of it's focusing more on actually having a proper, this is where I'm going to peak or this is where, because I think, you know, most, a lot of the time you end up, like before the tour, I'm, I'm training in altitude, but there's no, I, I messed it up when I, I peaked at, probably at nationals where I should have wanted to peak a little bit later or in the classics. I don't, yeah, I think it's, it's being more confident in, in not just going, right, we'll train. So I'm, I'm ready to race and then, and then race. It's like, accept that in, you almost accept in some races that you're not going to go as well. I think the more years you do, the more confidence you have in, in how you approach, in how you approach things. And previously I've gone in with the mindset of, if I'm feeling good on the bike, then I can just keep racing until I don't feel good on the bike anymore. Is it nearly a case that you were 
I don't want to say insecure, but you're new and coming up and you feel like you need to prove your worth every single race rather than being able to go, okay, 90% of these races don't matter a fuck to me. I'm just training. But these 10% of races really, really matter to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's having that that approach to things. And I think it's, it's, it's because the Olympics are next year. I really want to, like that will, for me, okay, it's not team related, but that will be the most important race of the year. So it's, doing more to ensure that I'm not, that I'm, that's when I'm at my peak rather than, you know, obviously it's going to be difficult. Right? They want me to do the Tour de France or whatever, but whether that means, you know, how we go into the tour or rather than just going into the tour into the, in the best way possible, it might be a case of actually starting out a little bit worse, build into it so that the Olympics are, are better. I just think like last year, the first race of the season in Valencia, I was, I was too, you're too. You can be too keen and desperate for it, and that yeah. was not even March. And it's it's a it's a long season. You really have to, you know, make sure when I'm when I'm you know when I'm flying, I really I can really use that. Can you win the Olympics? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I'd like. I mean, I'd like. I'd love to. That's like that's kind of as a kid growing up on the track. I always wanted to, you know, follow my track dreams. I guess it's part because as being part of British cycling, that's just the way the way things are and you know you want to be a team pursuer you want to win a gold medal on the track the reality is now that's you know I'm, that's not going to happen on the track but you know why can't it happen on the road spoiler alert Fred you absolutely can win the Olympics yeah well yeah yeah no I I, I think I can it's it's, it's going to be hard but <laughs> I think I can but that's that's again what I need to work on is is that confidence thing it's it's like being in races and being like no I, I can do this I'm not going to worry about what's going on, going around, going around me. Stick to the, you know, the plan. What, what I'm doing, and yeah, that's when it will come. You heard it here, folks. Stick your house on Fred Roy for the Olympic <laughs> Road Race Championships. <laughs> Fred, thanks for taking the time to chat. Well, I got to get in the team first, but, but I'm, <laughs> I, I, think, I think I should be all right. <laughs> I think you'll be good. I think you'll be good. Cheers, buddy.